Recorded Monday, September 18th at the Brooklyn Commons in Brooklyn, New York. It's our live taping of the Katie Halper Show on WBAI. Hey everybody, welcome to uh, the Commons Cafe. Give yourselves a round of applause for coming out to this live show. If you didn't already know, uh, this is the Katie Halper Show, live edition. We do this once a month, and uh, thank you guys so much for coming out tonight. I want to introduce you to the host with the most this evening, uh, the one and only Miss Katie Halper. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, guys. And I want to introduce you to the one and only uh, host with the most. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, Mr. Gabe Pacheco. Hi. Welcome. Come in, come in guys. We're get, socialists. Yeah. We'll share space. Oh, get in um, here. There's so get many Get in there. Seats. Melissa, do we have any more civilian chairs? I'll just call them that. Oh, yeah. Or go in the... Yeah, you can go in the... Yeah. Go. There's a bunch of people. They're single. Some of them, they want to mingle. Yeah. I mean, Enjoy. way to be home, a homewrecker. I don't know. I don't want to make assumptions. You're right. Besides, everyone's poly these days. What's the deal? Right? It's kind of true. Yeah, it's a lot of people that like math. True. They do. Polymath. They're, like, they're like, what are you, you just one person? No, we need more people. Let's make it a triangle. Let's have it be a triad. Let's have primaries, At least. secondaries. It's, it's not a quadri it's quadrille. It's too hierarchical. Yeah. What, mon monogamy or uh, poly? No, like, that's fine. It's like a one and one. Who po said we, it? Good. We got you got to pitch it to me because I'm not convinced. In fact, I'm going to start telling people I'm mono. <laughs> just because it's like, I, it's cool. I'm glad people are polyamorous. But um, I don't. It's kind of like CrossFit or veganism. <laughs> it like comes out like right away. I like that it's it is relationship CrossFit. It is right. Yeah. Cross pollinating CrossFit. I, I like that you're a bit mono. Mono's nice though. Self care. It's self -care, important. You know. One on, yeah. I don't judge anyone who's polyamorous. No. No judgment. This no judgment. Is a, this is safe this space. Sex positive safe sex space. Sex positive safe space. Yeah. Um, by the way, we have some guests in the house. Uh, Shuja Hader. Yay! Guests like guests on the show, not just guests. You're all guests here. Um, and our, uh, one of our two special guests tonight was on the show. Also, give it up for Florence Burrow Adams, who is our producer and sound engineer and a professor, a Renaissance woman. Thank you to Melissa, the Brooklyn Commons. Thank you to WBAI. Uh, also, thank you, Tony Bates and Giovanni uh, and Haley. Sorry, uh, WBAI, very great WBAI interns. And, and Tony is a, uh, the programming director at WBI? Yeah, okay, phew. Okay, good. I got that right. Rabia, thank you for helping with this, put this, this together. Um, and she also, you may have seen her at the Women's March. She spoke about the Yemeni uh, bodega campaign. So, very good, very good. I sound so chastising, very good. Um, let's see, anything else you guys hear about um, what happened? What happened with what happened? So Hillary Clinton's book, What Happened? Anyone? We should do a reading, a reading series. Our next show should be a reading series, a book club. Uh, what Happened? It's a great book. Um, real page turner. We had to, I, I spoke to Thomas Frank the other day, the author, and he was saying that in the book, Hillary says that she really likes speaking about other people more than she does about herself. Selfless. Selfless in her third book, she wrote that, in her third memoir. Anyone here read It Takes a Village, by the way? 
So one of the best parts of It Takes a Village is when she um, reminisces, waxes poetic about using prison labor as the first lady of Arkansas. Do you guys know about this? It's very like modern gun with the wind. It is, yeah. It is. That's cool. Uh, uh, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could be Bill Clinton's line. But what's cool is that, like, she, I guess Donald Trump dissed Hillary's book, and she wrote back, like, I also have another copy if you want me to send you one. And, she, and then she linked to um, It Takes a Village, which is weird because if I had highlighted my experience with prison labor, I probably wouldn't mention it. One unusual aspect of living in the Arkansas governor's mansion was getting to know prison inmates who were assigned to work in the house and the yard. When we moved in, I was told that using prison labor at the governor's mansion was a long-standing tradition that kept down costs, and I was assured that the inmates were carefully screened. Now, I had defended several clients in criminal cases, but seeing them in jail or in court was not the same as encountering a convicted murderer in the kitchen every morning. I was apprehensive but I agreed to abide by tradition until I had a chance to see for myself. I learned a lot as I got to know the inmates better. We enforced the rules strictly and sent back to prison any inmate who broke one. I discovered, as I had been told I would, that we had far fewer problems with inmates who were in for murder than those who had committed property crimes. The better I came to know them, the more convinced I was that their crimes were not the result of inferior IQs or an inability to apply moral reasoning. Although they had not finished high school, they seemed to have active and inquisitive minds. They showed sound judgment in solving problems in their work, and they plainly knew the difference between right and wrong. What, I wondered, had caused them to commit a crime that resulted in the loss of another's life? Now that I have read Daniel Goleman's insightful book, Emotional Intelligence, I am better able to understand. But Hillary's uh, hardcore supporters, and our guests are not endorsing this divisiveness, but Hillary's hardcore supporters, literally, like, there's nothing you, she could do to get them to not support her, and nothing she could do to stop her from being woke, including prison labor. <laughs> including opposing, like actively opposing Medicare for all. There was something else I was thinking that she did. She's mad at Bernie for not campaigning for her hard enough. Um, I won a landslide victory in the primary. I know what it's like to win, and I know what it's like to lose. And when I lost to Barack Obama, I immediately turned around. I endorsed him. I worked for him. I convinced my supporters to vote for him. I didn't get the same uh, respect from my primary opponent. And a lot of his supporters continue to harass and you know, really uh, go after my supporters all the time. And that feeds in, I think, to the whole sexism and misogyny uh, part of this campaign. Um, I had large groups of supporters who had to be private because if they lifted their head up online, if they were, you know, responding on a YouTube comment chain or on Twitter to something, they were just attacked, and the attacks were so sexist about, well, you're supporting a woman because you're a woman, and it just never really you're called, got you're, to the These facts. are the Bernie bros, so Well, yes, right? and they're still out there, and they're, and, and I also make the point, look, but why I give them, but, why give them material? Why not let them 
well, concentrate on the Trump administration. Well, I'm concentrating on the Trump administration, and I am proud to be a Democrat. I've been a Democrat for decades. I have supported Democrats. I've worked for Democrats. Bernie's not a Democrat, and, and that's not a slam. That's what he says himself. And I think a lot of what uh, he churned up in the primary campaign was very uh, hurtful in the general election against me. He did it, but he didn't, like, do it with, like, enough. You know what I mean? It's like when someone gets mad that, like, yeah, thank you for the gift, but, like, it wasn't... Oh, you're saying but, like, your genuine? smile wasn't genuine enough. You're like, he seemed like a crotchety old man from Brooklyn. It was weird <laughs> when he did it. That he, that he Come continued on, he, to be he, that. He can't, someone, someone said the other day he campaigned harder for her than she did herself, which I think is true. I'm, she compared him to a serial killer... Uh, hitchhiker, no joke. Did you guys hear this? Let me just read this one thing because it's really important and then we'll bring up our guests and also it gives us a chance to let people in. She's talking about her vibe with, with Sanders. This is true. I'm not, I'm not plagiarizing this or making that. Clinton wrote, Jake Sullivan, my top policy advisor, told me it reminded him of a scene from the 1998 movie There's Something About Mary. A deranged hitchhiker says he's come up with a brilliant plan. Instead of the famous eight-minute abs exercise routine, he's going to market seven-minute abs. It's the same, just quicker. Then the driver, played by Ben Stiller, says, well, why not six-minute abs? That's what it was like in policy debates with Bernie. We would propose a bold infrastructure investment plan or an ambitious new apprenticeship program for young people. And then Bernie would announce basically the same thing, but bigger. On issue after issue, it was like he kept proposing four-minute abs or no-minute abs, magic abs. Someone sent me a Facebook post that summed up the dynamic in which we were caught. Bernie, I think America should get a pony. Hillary, how will you pay for the pony? Where will the pony come from? How will you get Congress to agree the pony? Bernie, Hillary thinks America doesn't deserve a pony. Hillary, actually, I love ponies. Actually, I love ponies, sorry. Bernie supporters, who are us, so we can just say it. She changed her position on ponies. Hashtag witch Hillary. Hashtag witch as in the female warlock Hillary. And witch as in which one. I never said witch. Guys, never call... Just this is like a shout out. Never call Hillary a witch. Queen, unless you're like quoting someone who calls her the queen with a K. Um, what else? Shill. Let's, let's stop doing shill. Enough of shill. We just sound hysterical. Anyway. All right. Thanks, guys. That was a PSA. There's one person who campaigned harder for her than Bernie Sanders, and that was Bill Clinton. But that, of course, harmed her. Um, <laughs> you guys, so this is a true story. This isn't a joke so much. But um, the other day, not the other day, this is one of those things you can't pretend was the other day because it was a debate between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. So way to uh, be honest. Okay, so a couple months ago, when it had just come out that Donald Trump had talked about grabbing the P word, which... He's a feminist because he reclaimed that word and, and destigmatized it, but we'll talk about that later. Thank you, Donald Trump. But I was watching that debate where he was like, what's the word? Like stalking her or whatever? Looming. Looming, yeah. There's another animal, more animalistic word, I can't remember, but he circling. Was circling, I like that. Yeah. Prowling. Prowling, yeah. And I was like, why isn't she talking more about um, that he's a sexual abuser? And my mom, it wasn't funny. It's just, just a point of information. My mom was like, well, because she has that albatross of a rapist there at the debate. You guys are not supposed to laugh at that. It just came into my head. Too soon? I like it's not that a you, joke. You I called just, him an albatross. Well, that's what I thought was cool that my mom said that. I also thought my mom was like way on her toes. Like, that's pretty cool to say right away, right? Thank you. Thank you, Natalie. Natalie James, everyone. DSA. We have some DSA people in the house. 
And my mom is not trivializing rape, or she's not a rape apologist. Jeez, Louise. Okay. So should we bring up our, our guest? No, no, no. We can't bring them up after a weird Yeah, you don't comment. open with no. that. You got to keep going for a minute. <laughs> okay, what should we talk about? Uh, oh, I just found out that Hillary Clinton, during an interview, talked about how one of the ways she dealt with the loss is that she did alternating nostril breathing. Did you hear about this? In your book, you talk about al uh, alternate nostril breathing. Yes. What is that? And dare you give me a demonstration well, of that? Well, I would highly recommend it. Okay. You know, I mean, you're supposed to shut your eyes. I don't want to shut your shut my eyes on on you know on national television. Is that like a pranayama. Yeah. Breathing exercise. So we should all do that to start off the show. What if I we do, do that? that to go to sleep sometimes. Like, And you breathe through one and you hold it and then you exhale through the other and you keep going. It's like I breathe in and I count to, uh, what is it? I breathe in and I count to like five and then I breathe out for seven oh. and I just, and I hold my breath in between and my girlfriend's like, you're going to die. Like, don't do that. <laughs> She's, She's like, do that. Your, do yeah, it. Do it. It slows down your heart. It's, a, it's great. I can only say, based on my personal experience, that if you're sitting cross-legged on the yoga mat and you're doing it and you're really trying to inhale and hold it and then have a long exhale, it is very relaxing. So oh, great. If you guys are having panic attacks and you need to go to sleep, breathe in uh, for less time than you breathe out. Interesting. It's a haiku uh, ratio, too. Totally. Totally. Or All if you fail an election to Donald Trump, breathe yeah. alternate yeah. nostrils. So I don't know if you can do it in the middle of hurricane coverage, but maybe some other moments you can try it. I, uh, I found it quite helpful. Um, and of course the pony, let's just, we should just, let's end on the pony thing. Let's transition on the pony. You guys heard about what she said? I love ponies. I know. Uh, I like we uh, should play Shetland genuine. ponies. Oh, I don't even know what those are. That's just a type of pony. Do you guys know the show Pony by Genuine? It's really good. It's a really great video. It's such a great video. It totally genuine. Like enters this uh, this uh, cowboy bar. Yeah. Totally off brand, or maybe on brand. On brand, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's like a, the sexiest R and B song with just genuine and a bunch of cowboys. Yeah, country and western guys. It's really a, a civil rights moment, though. It's like uh, that. It's like that scene in uh, what is it? Forty eight hours when Eddie Murphy goes into the cowboy bar, except, like, sexy. Mm. Yeah, he's wearing an open shirt. Anyway. Um, Are you going to play? Pony? No, I, was wa I wanted to, but I was actually just trying to get online. Uh, There's this great documentary on uh, dudes that love uh, My Little Pony. Bronies, right? Bronies, that's right. Ride you guys know about the bronies? Brony. Yeah, Wikipedia that. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. uh, I feel great. I feel like uh, everyone here is, is paying attention. Yeah. Uh, they're making strong eye contact. Yeah. And uh, that means it's time uh, to, to start. Yeah, great. You okay. know? Awesome. So we're so excited to bring up our guests. Were you ready, Gabe? Yeah. He's been ready. He's born ready. We have a, we planned this thing out for you guys. It's we, a real treat. We do, yeah. We do. And uh, one, of my, one of my passions is um, local politics. And bronies. I love local politics. Every year after the election, people say, man, uh, we just need to get energized and do grassroots stuff. And then we all go to sleep for four more years. 
And this year uh, is going to be different. And I was really excited about this show, Katie, because we were going to um, introduce our audience to local politicians. Yeah. Um, so first we're going to bring up Jabari Brisport. And Jabari Brisport is a Green Party candidate for city council in the 35th district. He's been endorsed by the Black Lives Matter Caucus and by DSA. And he's a third generation Brooklynite. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, good evening. And now we're gonna bring up Khader El Yatim. Who is a community organizer and faith leader and he came, he took on and dominated the democratic machine and came much closer than anyone thought in the democratic primary. And it was kind of Bernie-esque, if I do say so myself, in that it was like an unexpected rise, the way better person, and also um, uh, ins kind of insurgent. By the way, if anyone wants to tweet out the link to the live stream, I think it's on the Brooklyn Commons website, but no worries if you don't. And um, the hashtag for this is KT Help Show. That's letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S, H-O-W. You're, um, what are you on Twitter? Jabari2017. Gabe is? Gabe underscore Pacheco. And? Khader al Yatim. <laughs> my name. <laughs> okay, yeah. How many Khader El teams are there, though? I think just one. And that's K-H-A-D-E-R-E-L-Y-A-T-E-E-M. Okay, yeah, cool. Excellent. Yeah, I thought we could start by actually talking about that and talking with you guys about what it was, if you remember the first moment that you thought you would run. I know that we had spoken in our interview about your kind of, your orientation um, and your biography and how that influenced your decisions. It would be awesome if you could share that too, but I want to know if you guys remember like an aha moment. Do you want to start? Uh, yeah, so for me it was probably the, the night after Trump got elected. I was part of those big protests of tens of thousands of people going from Union Square up to Trump Tower and it was raining and coming from a history of just activism over the past 10 years, I was thinking, this sucks, you suck in office for the next four years, what's this protest gonna do? I wish I could do something more to fight against fascism and fight against the, the onslaught of the right on politics. And I thought, why not run at the local level? Because that's a way to uh, make real, tangible change in my community. And had you thought of it, but, oh, yes. And had you thought about uh, running before? Like, had you thought about city council elections before, or? No, this was my first foray into actually running for office. I mean, Bernie Sanders really got me involved in electoral politics. From Before that, it was mostly, um, yeah, clap it up for Bernie. Yeah. Clap it up for Bernie. I'm tired of being Bernie shamed. I mean, before that, it was mostly like activism issue-based, fighting for this affordable housing battle, fighting for this marching with Black Lives Matter, fighting for this income inequality thing. But um, Bernie Sanders made me realize, rather than fighting politicians, we could just elect ones that agreed with us. And if that doesn't work, we can run for office ourselves. Nice. All right. Yep. Awesome. You convinced me to stop supporting Hillary. Just kidding. Okay. Um, and uh, fa really Reverend, Father. Yeah, yeah. I never thought of running for office, but uh, Bernie really uh, was a motivating factor in my life to let me get more engaged and involved. And after the election of Trump, uh, and I saw what happened during the campaigning, I'm speaking about the Arabs and the Muslims and targeting us and trying to get elected on our backs. 
Uh, after his election, I wanted to become more engaged and involved, and that's when community leaders came and we spoke together, and I said, let's run. Let's have representation. The Arab and Middle Eastern community is the only community in New York that we don't have any representation in city government in New York. And we have uh, one of the largest communities in, in the country lives here in New York. So we needed to have a representation. We need somebody to rise up and resist and uh, bring our voice to the table to be part of the decision making. And that's when I decided to run. So that was my moment. Um, it's, uh, yeah, just two typical Bernie bros. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> actually, yeah, let's guilty talk about that. Guilty as charged. <laughs> yeah, guilty as charged. Um, f actually, I want to ask about Bernie bros, but first, can you talk about your, your backgrounds? And uh, when I interviewed you, I had no idea about this experience you had gone through that would have turned me into a very, un uh, for euphemism, I'll say, unproductive person. Um, and you somehow came out of this harrowing experience as a as a faith, still having faith, and also becoming an organizer. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm an Arab American Palestinian who was born and raised in Palestine under the Israeli occupation. I lived under the Israeli occupation all my life. When I was 19 years old, the Israeli Defense Forces, as they call them, came to our house and picked me up from my bed at three in the morning. And I was uh, put in, uh, in jail for 57 days. I was in a uh, small cell in solitary confinement for 57 days. Every day was tortured, interrogated, uh, was subjected to many different uh, acts of violence from the interrogators. They wanted me to confess something that I have no idea what it was. Um, and that experience was um, very difficult in my life as a young man growing up. And I, I start thinking to myself why this is happening to me. And I wanted to understand why this is happening. So when I came out of prison, I actually was committed to justice, was committed to dialogue, committed to understand the behavior and why the others are acting in such a way. Uh, and why I was the victim of their behavior and, and the way they acted. So that was a very, very crucial experience, a turning point in my life as a Palestinian, uh, as an Arab, uh, to start thinking about the larger, bigger picture about how we can get more engaged and involved and talk about issues of justice and peace in the world. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's incredibly inspiring. Uh, oh, I realize I, sh I just set you up. You may not have as as you uh, know. <laughs> no, but tell tell us, Travari, how did you? What's your background and your biography, and how did you become uh, an activist before even running for city council? I, you know, I started my activism. I have a theatrical background, and I'm you know I'm an actor, and I came to uh, to politics through political uh, theatrical activism. And in, in college, I went to NYU. We were fighting gentrification because NYU is terrible about property um, ownership in Manhattan. And our big thing was that we would go out into local communities on the east, uh, the Lower East Side, and do site-specific uh, performance around gentrification. And we would collect signatures to fight rezonings with the community board. And I did multiple things like that throughout my time, using the arts and combine that with theater. I, I did another thing around income inequality, uh, a theatrical piece, mostly comedy, but we used it to get signups to get people to get to the website Kiva, which allows for microloans to small business owners in developing uh, nations, which is a great way to generate income and create jobs in, in developing countries and increase their wealth. Um, but again, you know, the arts, did they stopped feeling like they were enough. E even though I was, I mean, that's when I felt most home in, in the arts was when I was doing political stuff. I wanted to actually see if I could affect change via legislation leading me to my run for office. Wow. Awesome. So, 
So arts became like necessary but not sufficient, perhaps. Nice. Nice, right? Nice. This is like the theme of politics, I, I think, mm -hmm. that people don't get, but we can talk about that a little later. Um, so interesting. So both of you, ironically, or not ironically, logically, were influenced by Donald Trump. You should shout out to Donald Trump for inspiring <laughs> yeah. your campaigns. Um, in fact, when we had Aaron Neff on from the DSA, we said that, uh, Gabe, you said something very funny about how like Donald Trump was the seed and DSA was the flower, and then Aaron Neff, I think, was like, Donald Trump was actually the SH blah, blah, blah. Uh, oh, he's the manure, yeah. the fertilizer, in which these, these beautiful flowers are blooming. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. So you, you spoke about how Sanders influenced you, but I want to know more specifically what, what um, if, if Sanders' campaign changed the way you view politics in general, yeah, I mean, I'll start because uh, just, you know, talking as, you know, the Green Party candidate on this stage, I remember wanting to look in towards the Green Party 2012 and getting disheartened just looking at campaign finance and seeing that uh, both Obama and Romney were both spending over a billion on their campaigns, thinking there's absolutely no way any other third party can even can rise up or deal with that. And then lo and behold, comes along Bernie Sanders, who raises over $200 million in small dollar donations without any corporate money or PACs or super PACs. And I thought, oh, this is possible. I actually can go outside of that paradigm. And it's really, and that's part of my inspiration for running not only um, as a progressive candidate, but in a, in a, in a third party. I mean, for me, I became a U.S. citizen in 1996. And the moment I became a U.S. citizen, I registered to vote and I became a Democrat at that uh, moment. People don't understand. People take sometimes that privilege for granted. Uh, I never in my life had a citizenship. That was the first time in my life I have a citizenship. I was born and raised in Palestine, but I don't have a citizenship. Till this day, we have something called travel document. Uh, and I never had the chance in my life, the chance to vote and elect somebody. So I, I uh, became a registered Democrat, and uh, I always participated in the process. I wanted to run as a Democrat because I felt we have an obligation to reform the soul of the Democratic Party that I felt it has been lost uh, in this country. Uh, so um, uh, I, I ran as a Democrat and uh, we knew we, running is going to be a very difficult challenge because um, I am not your average regular guy who running for office. I am an Arab. American, Palestinian, Christian, Lutheran, immigrant, pastor. Uh, and One of the top you're, five. You're, like a, you're like a stand-up joke. Like, all of those identities walk into a bar. Yeah, here you go. And, um, you know, I start meeting with people in the Democratic Party early on before I announced officially, and all their comments to me, this is not the time for you to do this. It mm. is not the time for an Arab American to run in this kind of district. Uh, so we knew the establishment is going to be against us, yet uh, I was committed uh, because uh, I felt the obligation, we need to give a voice to the community. We need to do community empowerment, community engagement, community organizing. And I think uh, we, even though we lost the election, but what we have been able to achieve as a grassroots campaign, it has been phenomenal. Yeah. Worth celebrating. And did you ever consider a third party run? 
no, uh, I really, uh, when I wanted to run, a lot of people from the establishment came and approached me to run as an independent, and I said, absolutely not. I'm a Democrat. I will run as a Democrat. If you would like to support me, uh, you are welcome. If not, then you have uh, September 12th to cast your vote. And we have almost 3,000 people who voted their, uh, cast their votes in support of my candidacy. I ran as an Arab-American Palestinian who supported BDS, who was not shy about being a member of the DSA and a socialist. So that, that was amazing statement from the people in the 43rd district to make on September 12th to support a Palestinian who supports BDS, who's a socialist, and they came out and they supported my candidacy. And I think that is a great indication that change is happening in that district because all my life I was told that district is a conservative district and we have approved them wrong on September 12th. I mean, again, you're, it, it is very Sand, Sandersian, if you will, because you're, it, was, it was so against the odds and your ascent was really incredible. So I just want to thank you. And I think it's really interesting because you mentioned BDS and I feel like being Palestinian or being pro-BDS, which is boycott, sanction, divestment, um, used to be a kind of third rail and like even the left even socialist lefties, we kind of didn't touch it. Like mm -hmm. we would touch it behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. And we all knew like we were critical of the Israeli government and Netanyahu and everything. But I really think that we thought it was um, like almost self-defeating to bring it up as alienating. And I think that, uh, I don't know how it happened. I think maybe it's a generational thing, but this is, it's no longer acceptable to be kind of on the fence or ignore the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. No, I mean, think about this. I'm Palestinian who've been imprisoned by the Israelis, who is committed to nonviolence uh, resistance of the occupation. Uh, and BDS is one of these nonviolent solutions uh, to, uh, to end the illegal Israeli occupation of Palestine. So I think, uh, I think people should be appreciative that a Palestinian who was born and raised under the Israeli occupation is committed to nonviolence. Uh, and I think we, we need to speak more about uh, BDS, we need to speak about nonviolent solutions. And, you know, when I came out supporting BDS 100%, some of the elected Jewish leaders uh, went on social media and called me anti Semitic. Boo. Yeah. So, You're a Shonda. You're a guy, and, you guys are a Shonda. And, Let me just say that. And one of them was Assemblyman Dove Heikend. So I called him, I said, Dove, where are you? He said, I'm home. I said, I'm coming to your house, don't leave. <laughs> so I went to his house and I met with him and I said, Dove, listen to me. Uh, I am a Palestinian who supports nonviolence, who recognizes the, the right of Israel to exist. Do you have a nonviolent solution for me to support? And he said, no. I said, why? He said, because I don't believe there will ever be peace in that part of the world. I said, so don't take my right to support a nonviolent solution to the conflict where I am committed to peace, where you are not. And I left his house uh, on that note. Uh, so, so this is my, my dilemma that we, what, after, there's a lot of people who come out from prison who are bitter, who are angry, who are frustrated, who are recruited to commit to acts of violence against Israel. That wasn't me. Uh, and now to call me anti-Semitic, uh, I think that is just outrageous when you are calling a Palestinian who's committed to nonviolence, who recognizes the right of Israel to exist, anti-Semitic. Wow, thank you.
We have, a, by the way, I want to thank another guest of the Katie Halper Show, Karina Moreno, who's done the show a bunch of times. Welcome. Um, yeah, it, it reminds me actually of that uh, JFK quote, I think it's JFK, who said, if we don't, something like, if we don't support today's nonviolent revolutions, there'll be tomorrow's violent revolutions. But yeah, it, it drives me like crazy to hear Mashuga, Mashuga, it drives me crazy to hear people complain. You know, they're like, there's no Martin Luther King for the Palestinian movement. There's no nonviolent leader. And then there's actually a viable nonviolent movement. And I also think like, okay, so you guys know, J Street um, is an organization that opposes BDS. But I think they're actually really principled in some ways because they oppose it, but they, are, they like emphatically reject the framing of BDS as anti-Semitic which I think is really important. I mean, I'm, I'm like 100 degrees to whatever. I don't know math, geometry. To the left of, of J Street, but I still think that's admirable because you have other people who try to legalize it, which is another level of insanity. Um, uh, Gabe, do you want to ask, do you want to talk about the Bernie bro thing? You mentioned it earlier. Well, just, you know, they just, these, they just look like typical Bernie bros Yeah, to me. yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, um, there was that whole Bernie Mimi White hashtag that got circulated around oh, in April or so last guess year. Guess what? Leslie Lee. He's been a show. He's been on the show a couple of times. Give it up for Leslie Lee if you're watching. Yeah. So Leslie Lee, um, he started a. He's black and he started a hashtag because he actually was joking on Twitter um, with some Latino and black Twitter people about how if Sanders won in, it was Hawaii, Alaska, and Washington State, that if he won those, uh, that would mean that Bernie had made me black, he said. And lo and behold, Sanders won those states, and CNN was like, oh, well, those are rural white states, actually. And people who had started that were like, you know, were laughing so hard. And then, so they did stuff like, um, ever since, what was it like, ever, like I've I used been to be black, but ever since I started supporting Bernie Sanders, I really like cucumber sandwiches with Exactly, mayo. yeah. <laughs> or like, um, I like my salsa mild now. Hashtag Bernie made me white. Yeah. Um, but what, what, uh, what do you guys think about this? Like, how do you feel as people of color on the left when you hear people talk about Bernie bros? Uh, I, th I think it's unfortunate. I mean, he had a ton of female support and he had a ton of uh, people of color support. And uh, it's unfortunate that I, I saw like identity politics weaponized in a way to discredit a movement and policies that I think would extremely be very, very helpful to our most marginalized groups in the country. It was a very uh, unfortunate attacks that came out of the Hillary camp. Well, let me yeah. yes. Well, let me say, according to the New York Times, Bear Ridge went for Bernie Sanders. Uh, so that's, that's incredible. And, and that's simply because of the work that we have done in the community. For the first time, the Arab and the Muslim community came out to vote, yeah. and they voted for Bernie because he spoke about issues that relative. He was the only person who was running mentioned the word Palestine. Uh, so, so he was very inspiring, was motivated a lot of people of color in Bay Ridge to come out and vote for him. And I think that's, uh, that's incredible. That's yeah. incredible that Bay, that Bay Ridge, the conservative last stronghold of Republicans in the city went for Bernie. Yeah. yeah. It probably wasn't the Italians. I'm just generalizing. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I love Italians. Some of my best friends are Italians. 
one of my best friends forever. They're not endorsing this. This uh, yeah, I'm not this ethnic this again, joke. So. <laughs> As a Jew, it's so exciting. It's I love being able to. You guys are like, no, you can't. But I, uh, it is exciting to be able to talk about Irish people, Italian people. I mean, we're all the same. We're all the same. But it's just fun that I can make jokes and not feel like I'm going to hell. Um, which I don't believe in as a secular Jew. Anyway, um, but yeah, that was actually really interesting and enraging because people would constantly talk about how, you know, the people of color, as if they were this monolith, went for Hillary Clinton. They ignored age, and they also did, because the Arab-American vote went to, to Sanders. I mean, I know, in, right? In, yes. And... You know, every time people talk about people of color voting for Hillary or, or opposing Sanders, they're basically, uh, you know, invisibilizing and erasing Arab Americans and Arabs who, um, it's, is Arab American, if you're born, what is, do, Arab versus Arab American, Arab American means you have U.S. citizenship or what's the? It's all the same. It's all the same, yeah. He said it, not me. Um, it's all the same. But, yeah, and actually we have someone, of, uh, uh, you know, a liberal pundit, writer at The Nation, Wong Josh, we'll call her, who actually said, you know, actually told a, uh, someone that Palestinians uh, were not, were white, that it's contested whether or not they face racism. So, uh, yeah, so the, the jury's out on whether uh, Arab Americans are, are people of color. Uh, and for some people, I think it's out on whether they're people, honestly. Well, uh, it, it was very interesting when my son was filling out his application for the uh, SAT. Uh, it says, if you are Arab or Middle Eastern, check white. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I said, are you white? He said, no. I said, well, check African-American. Yeah. But I'm not African-American. But, well, don't check white, but yeah. whatever, but it's, you are not white. So See? We <laughs> Interse intersectionality, people. Yeah, so I said, so... Even on the census uh, right. application, uh, we are considered white. Exactly, uh, yeah. So we start telling people, don't write white, either but other and write your country of origin. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Actually, Jim, Jim Zogby, I don't know if you know Jim Zogby, he's this pollster and also uh, involved in the DNC, but like a good guy, crazily enough. Well, so are you. So, um, and he was uh, on the Democratic Platform uh, Committee. He's a big fan of yours. When I tweeted that you were coming on, he's like, I love this guy. But he actually, okay, now this is going to be anticlimactic because I don't remember the story, but he talked about how it happened. There was like a legal case a really long time ago with a police officer, and Pakistan was like considered the, like the, the line of whether or not you were white. So I have to have Jim Zogby explain this, but this is all to hook you guys in to the mystery. But that was, that was yeah, more or less, whatever. Okay. Um, <laughs> So, and what about you? You said it's unfortunate. Gabe, you as a, you call yourself a Chicano dude bro. That's Do you want to share your experiences? Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I like Bernie. That was, <laughs> that was it. And uh, all the Latinas I knew and Latinxes and Latin Latinos, everybody, just, it's, all, it's all Bernie, man. Yeah, That's all it. Bernie all the time. Yeah, definitely. You know, unless you're like old and we're like in the political, in like, like my parents' friends in D.C. who were, you know, the establishment uh, beholden kind of? to uh, the Clinton administration giving them jobs, then it's, you know, you, you gotta, you vote where the gravy is. Yeah. But other than that, it's like, uh, Bernie was talking about immigration, was talking about working class issues, um, was talking about an inclusive um, U.S. that, where everyone was gonna get healthcare and uh, better education. So, yeah, I mean, that's, 
the identity didn't really matter. That's, I guess, the point. Um, yeah, so it's interesting because I think that people, uh, is, there an, is that curtain closed? I just want to make sure our recording is okay. Um, people have really, like you said, weaponized identity politics. Um, and, you know, I, I'll often try to use their language to prove their hypocrisy. And I don't totally, I think we maybe need to question the premise a little bit, but I do have to say that watching people accuse uh, other people of the things that they do is really, really infuriating. So they'll tell me, for instance, that I'm like doing it for the men, it's where the boys are, I'm self-loathing, um, I've internalized misogyny, I do it for Chapo Trap House. No disrespect, they've been here on this, on this very stage. In fact, for better or for worse, I brought them together for the first time right here. Um, so maybe you guys are gonna launch a really successful podcast. Um, <laughs> But you know, it's like, it's just so hypocritical because they really do all the things that they claim they're objecting to. And I think that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just, yeah, like, I mean, just like thinking of it coming from the other side. I mean, how many months was the, uh, the Clinton campaign uh, accusing the Sanders camp of being a single issue on banks? And like, you know, what if we had been like, oh, you're accusing the old Jew about being obsessed with money? I mean, isn't that very anti-Semitic? Nobody did that. Nobody ever <laughs> played we that. Because were focused on the issues on that side of the, the, the Democratic primary. Yeah. In fact, today there were some tweets where people were like, or yesterday, no, actually, I found a tweet from this person. Um, I'll look her name up, but she literally said uh, to someone, okay, Bernie bro, go back to preparing the gas ovens for your leader. Whoa. Yeah. It was like, I don't know if she's a plant. Sometimes I think these people are plants because they're so over the top. I don't, I don't want to get too inner baseball, but I don't know if you like, uh, like, no. If you know Sally Albright, but she's a, a Twitter personality, and she did us all a big favor uh, last night because she tweeted something positive about Sean Spicer, who was on the Emmys, which is weird, and we can talk about that later. But, um, you know, I, it is funny, I, and I also want, shout out Hillary, I know you're watching. I want to thank Hillary for really, like, shamelessly relitigating the primary because that's something I try to do, but productively. Like, I think that we actually need to talk about it because there are important takeaways. Hillary doesn't. She's just complaining. Um, and, but again, I want to thank her for that and also the nostril breathing. But what are the important takeaways for you guys about this, uh, this race? I would say that if you shamelessly hammer away on the issues, you will break through no matter whether you win or lose, and that's something for Bernie. I mean, he gave a whole new lexicon to a huge progressive left on fighting for taxing the rich, on fighting for single-payer health care, free public college, uh, fighting against the, the U.S. war machine, tons of tons of issues, and that's something I've been able to shoot in my campaign. Like, we're pushing for higher taxes on landlords, developers, and pushing for bringing the NYPD under democratic control, divestment of the city from fossil fuels. Hammer away on the issues, don't get caught up in identity attacks and the little sniping and rat racing that the media loves, and I think you, you launch a message that can carry through whether you win or lose. That's his slogan. That, when you see him on TV, when you see him on TV, that's what it says under his name. Just kidding. But you, you actually were just on uh, Fox, right? And you were call, called the New York Socialist or I something? I own that title so hard. Of course. I you love should get, title, you should get a tattoo. Uh, yeah. But did you ever think, I mean, that you would 
uh, run as your your Green Party uh, candidate, but you in your videos and in your campaign, you actually say you're you're a proud socialist. Uh, what do you say? Um, unapologetic. Unapologetic, unabashed socialist. Yeah. And you know, I was told to like shy away from that because it would scare people away. Um, but no one I've found is scared of that term in the district. And in fact, I've been openly saying, you know, my thing on gentrification, where I believe it's caused by capitalism. Rounds of applause from every form I've been in. You know, people you might consider. Establishment Democrats, people in the district, they understand something is wrong and they understand that there's extreme greed from the people at the top and they understand that when people are getting kicked out of their homes, it's because landlords and developers are so greedy with money and they're getting richer and richer while we have 60,000 plus homeless people in the city and it's not okay. It's a crisis of capitalism and yep. people recognize that. Okay, yes. And did you think that you would uh, run as a socialist? When did you guys come out as socialists? <laughs> Um, I, come, I came out, I think, in the f March, early April. Yeah. Were your parents okay with it? Oh, well, <laughs> we had to have a heart-to-heart -heart talk about <laughs> it. Uh, we were okay. I, um, I came out last summer as a socialist. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was shower thoughts. I was in the shower just thinking, you know what's <laughs> weird about capitalism is that black people were brought here as capital, and that's kind of what capitalism is in a nutshell. It's placing price tags on people and things which should not have a price tag. Uh, you know, just to go back to your original question about the campaign, I committed from day one on my campaign, it will be a positive, will be about the issues, we will be uh, giving people something to be proud of, either win or lose, and I think we have achieved that. Uh, I ran in a campaign uh, against the whole political establishment. We actually have enemies in the Democratic Party in the district who became friends to unite against me. Uh, and to spend money against They're me. They're enemies with each other, with and each you other. were the common enemy. Yeah, so I was uh, able to unite the Democratic Party, so there that's There you go, a, something right, has to do uh, it. Yeah. Uh, I went against almost every single union in the city, people who speak about immigrants and people of color empowering them, yet they went with the status quo, with the candidates that are supposed to win and didn't take any risk on a new candidate who might win. Uh, we went against special interest groups and a lot of people in the community who were doing a lot of racial profiling and under the table and openly. Uh, and I think uh, uh, because we were committed to the issues, we were committed to speaking about the social justice, uh, uh, health uh, insurance, speaking about issues that people really connected, they didn't really care about our identity, they didn't care about where I stand in foreign politics. They cared about how I'm going to serve the district, and that's why we came, almost 32% of the votes came our way. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it was, again, I, and it's like, it, it was just amazing. And of course, Bernie himself lost a bunch of times, so I'm, I'm, I'm uh, very positive about, uh, optimistic about your political you know, future. I'm, I'm a first-time candidate, never yeah. run before. We have very little experience, and we did phenomenal stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... And, and simply, I just want to give a shout-out right here, right now, uh, simply because we have amazing endorsements, uh, and one of these endorsements was from the DSA, who, who promised an army of volunteers, and they delivered. So Non-violent. Non-violent. Yeah. yeah. So for the DSA members out here, I see some of them who worked really hard on the campaign. I just want to say thank you because you guys came to a district that is known as conservative and you made a big difference. Let them talk about yeah. issues that really matter, such as social uh, justice issues. So thank you. Yeah. 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 Um, another group that really grew with Trump's uh, election. So again, thank you. 
Um, you, uh, you know, something that you both do, and also Sanders does, I think, is you own what you are, right? It's unapologetically. So when you had that Republican, Bobon, what's his name? Cabano? Bob Cabano. Yeah. And so he's going to be running against the Democrat, correct? He's but he lost. Oh. Miserably. Wait, wait, when did he lose? Republican primary, he lost. The, the Republican oh. primary. Okay, he yeah. lost. So who's the Republican running against um, the other dude? So there's three Republicans, and Johnny Cleggion won the Republican nomination. Okay. To so, run. so what's his name? Cabano? Bob Cabano. Bob Cabano. Cabano. Yeah. He so lost miserably. He got the lowest number of votes. So. Yay! Yeah. What a great, uh, great news. Yep. So he <laughs> said about you, he called you a uh, radical cleric. Leftist, <laughs> radical, Palestinian cleric. And, and what you did, you know, there are lots of times and lots of people who would respond to that by saying, no, 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 I'm not that leftist. I'm certainly not radical. I'm like, you know, I'm a pastor, but it's not that, you know, uh, nothing to be afraid of. But what you, can you tell people how you responded to that smear? Well, what, the way we responded, we created a video. I am on a skateboard and saying radical cleric. So. That's <laughs> yeah, really good. <laughs> Um, why did you run, uh, speak, going back to the elections, why did you choose to run as a Green um, and not as a Democrat? Well, one, I'm registered as a Green. Two, I believe in a multi-party system. I mean, what I see from Polly. Going back I to polyamory. So I'm out now. Geez, Politically so polyamorous. Poly, yeah. um, poly candidate. But um, no, what I, what I see with a two-party system is just extreme division and polarization of American politics. I see it reduced to my side good, your side evil, and we get away from policy. And the media loves that because they can just focus on um, just the rat race and little uh, character assassination while like, you know, the establishment Democrats and Republicans shift very close in economic terms. But if we have a multi-party system, I believe we can get more to a conversation about the issues themselves and what various different identities, ideologies are, and I think that's actually healthier for American politics. Yeah, I like what you're saying because uh, you know I have friends who vote voted Democrat the whole time, and they were very pragmatic, and they kept saying things like Green Party candidates uh, ruin the election, and they don't have a ground game, and they're not doing anything on a local level, and so why would you vote for them presidentially? And it's and you're proving the opposite by yeah. starting that, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's hundreds of green candidates every year. Yeah, they just get totally. just like, you know. So it's like a myth that they, that they are not, that yeah, it's not I mean, happening. Yeah, I mean, you know, you compare the amount of the press coverage that Jill Stein got compared to presidential candidates. Now scale that down to the local level where media is barely covering local elections. So just imagine how much a local green candidate gets, and then you get this myth that the greens aren't doing anything at the local level. But um, I'm running. I've got tons yeah. of great press coverage and a really great shot in November. Yeah, and, li and uh, Jill Stein. Hi. We, uh, we had Jill Stein right here, here at one yeah. of our live shows. Yeah. Charming. Very charming, yeah. yeah. And they smeared her about various things, but um, uh, actually gave one of my favorite lines from you was, and you didn't, it wasn't a joke, you said this seriously, but I found it very um, enriching, was when you, it was the day after the election, actually, we had a show with um, Amber Lee Frost, Juan Mejia, and Freddie DeBoer. Sure. We were on this stage. And you were talking, we were all sharing where we were during the election, you know, when the results were coming in. And you were saying that you were, I guess, with your girlfriend and some comedians. Yeah. And you were like, I was with people who were like Hillary Clinton supporters, but like not because she wasn't Trump. They actually liked her. Yeah. Which I thought was a very. Uh, they, were, they were true believers. Yeah, they were true believers. But just to give you a sense of where we are politically, it was kind of a, it was like worth noting because it was so weird to us. Okay, that was again another point of information. I thought it was a. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
I think to, to wrap up, um, I would love to know what kind of uh, messages, like you have things that you learned through your campaign, what is next for you, and um, what's next for you, and where people can find out more about what you're doing. Well, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. said, injustice anywhere is, in, uh, is a threat to justice everywhere. And I think we have a lot of work to do on issues of justice, especially social justice, economic justice, and racial justice that I am committed to. We have started and built a huge political power in the district. We have a huge momentum. We will continue to build on that. We'll continue to hold our elected officials accountable to the people who live in the district, and we will not rest till we have our uh, day. So, so we, we are continually meeting. We, just, we had a meeting yesterday. We have all, over 40 people who were very heavily invested in the campaign, and we have a town hall meeting next uh, uh, Sunday to present our report to the communities who are supporting us to see what will be the next steps uh, for our political movement in Southwest Brooklyn. Uh, but uh, the, the next thing for me immediately is to get a bus of people and to go uh, and support Jabari, to knock on doors for him, to make sure he's elected at, at to city council. So, so that's my promise. And uh, people are excited. They are ready to go. We're going to fill our cars and come take over the neighborhood, like the SA came and took over yeah. the 43rd district. So. And, and where can yeah. people find out about that, to join the bus? The bus campaign. Uh, they, they can go to uh, uh, my website, Elyatim, E-L-Y-A-T-E-E-M2017.com. There is the information there. You can shoot us an email, and you're welcome to join the bus to go and campaign Canvas for Jabari. Awesome. Yay. And, and your, ha your, ha your hashtag is Team Elyatim? Team Elyatim. Okay, yep. great. Hashtag, hashtag Team Elyatim. Team Elyatim. Look at, yep. oh, awesome. Great, yeah, you know, I canvassed for Elliot team for uh, Papa Barricada over here um, a couple weeks ago, and it was I had so much fun down in the Bay Ridge, and I, there was such a wave of support. Um, really, it's it's still there no matter yep. you know whatever happened. I mean, there's such there's such a strong base of support there for you and your politics. Um, if you want to get involved with my campaign, it's Jabari2017.nyc, and you know it's important because the race is still cooking up. It's still going on. I'm the only candidate that was in the race, and now you know in of all the candidates running, and now even now in the general that was saying let's go on the offense against landlords and Developers, let's not pat ourselves on the back for you know a few affordable housing units created here and there. You know the odd housing case one here and there. I'm the only one that said you know if landlords are threatening their tenants with ice rates, we can threaten back with eminent domain. We yeah. can take the war to them. I mean. I'm the only candidate unabashedly saying Black Lives Matter and really pushing to bring the NYPD under, under community control. I'm the only candidate calling for a much bigger uh, redistribution of wealth. The only candidate calling for a divestment of, of New York City from fossil fuels. The only one talking about a greater democratic process in our school boards, you know, fighting against charter schools hard. And we have a really strong chance to win. I mean, this district, my district actually elected a third party candidate 14 years ago. Letitia James, who's now the public advocate, elected okay. her. Okay. Letitia James is third party? She, well, she was. She was elected solely on the Working Families Party ticket, then she dove back into the Democratic Party. But my district, if, if there's any district in New York City that's not afraid to go outside the Democratic Party, it's the 35th district in Brooklyn. Fort Greene, Bed-Stuy, Clint Hill, Prospect Heights, and Crown Heights. So let's do it again. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Um, thank you again, Hadaria team, Jabari Brisport, and your website is? Jabari2017.nyc. Yeah, thank you so much. Gabe Pacheco, yep. Melissa, um, Tony WBI, the Brooklyn Commons, Florence, 
Haley, um, Giovanni, and Karina, of course. Well, again, thank you so much. And uh, uh, we're, we're, if you use the hashtag Casey Help Show, follow us on iTunes, rate and review us. That's charisma. That's great, yeah, thank you. You led the charge. Thank you, that's great. Oh, you have a wonderful interview. Jabari Brisport is a third-generation resident of Prospect Heights, running to represent Brooklyn's 35th district, Fort Green, Clinton Hill, Prospect Heights, and Bed-Stuy. You can find out more about Jabari at Jabari, that's J-A-B-A-R-I, 2017.nyc. Again, that's Jabari2017.nyc. And you can follow him on Twitter at Jabari2017. Again, J-A-B-A-R-I-2017. For more information about Khadr El-Yatim, a highly respected Arab-American faith leader and community organizer, please go to elyatim2017.com that's E-L-Y-A-T-E-E-M 2017.com You can also follow him on Twitter at Khader Elyatim K-H-A-D-E-R-E-L-Y-A-T-E-E-M and you can use the hashtag Team Elyatim Get it? Thanks for listening to the Katie Helper Show Rate and review us on iTunes Like us on Facebook Subscribe to us, rate and review us on iTunes. Follow me and Gabe on Twitter. I'm KT Helps. That's letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S. Gabe is Gabe underscore Pacheco. And please use the hashtag KT Help Show. That's letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S-H-O-W. The Katie Halper Show is produced by Florence Burrow Adams with help from Josh Bregman. Our theme song is by The Ballet. You can hear The Katie Helper Show every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on WBI. Thanks for listening to The Katie Helper Show.